good morning. I'm Wednesday Lafay, and I will be hosting today's RPG panel titled Creating Epic Characters That Your Party Won't Want to Kill. And with me, I've got some really awesome role players that will be able to take us through character creation. Hi, I'm Carl. I'm from Pretoria, and I mainly play D&D 5e. Cool. Hi, I'm Stuart. I'm from Durban, and I mainly play Pathfinder and Starfinder. Hi, I'm V. I'm uh, from Cape Town. I play mostly Fate and Old World Darkness, Exalted, and Pathfinder. I also play everything. So the first question is, who is the favorite character that you have played? Did you create the character yourselves? Was it created? And in what setting? And obviously, why was it your favorite character? Over the years, I've built a few characters, both for myself as a player and as a dungeon master. I don't think I've ever had one that it's like a personal favorite. I always find that a character is so much better when you connect them to the world. A character that's not just isolated. I think that is one of the great ways to create an epic character, in my opinion. I don't have any favorites. They're all my favorite characters, generally the ones that I create. If I'm making characters for other people, I tend to just slap together whatever is the best thing for them and give it to them. But my characters, I tend to put a lot more effort into. So they've got backstory, they've got history, they've got ties to other characters. So I don't really have any specific ones. Like, there's a couple of standouts, but nothing in particular that I like, would say is my favorite. There was a cool lop I was in once. So lop is a live action role-playing game where you actually dress up and interact with, people, with a big group of people and run around and do things. I was playing the Inquisitor in a medieval setting, and it was a lot of fun. Just running around and terrifying people, dressed up all in black with my long beard, and being all <laughs> medieval. There was one where I created a character for a friend of mine in Aberrant. Mm-hmm. Superhero-esque role-playing game from White Wolf. And what was interesting with that was that she's never role-played before, ever. So I just created her a one-shot character, kind of like an elemental-based character. She can control water and do all kinds of fun things. And what was great was that that level of freedom and not, not be constrained by the rules, she came up with some very cool things to do, and we made them work. And she just wrecked everything around us. It was amazing. And she had a lot of fun as well. And on my part, there was a supervillain campaign. Don't ever let your players play supervillains. Bad things happen. <laughs> so many bad things. But that was probably the most OP character I've ever played in the game. And in that campaign, the other players were actively trying to kill me. Like, I agree with you, V, when you say that... People that have never role-played before, they have this amazing range of creativity and freedom that isn't limited by any RPG rules. I mean, I completely agree with that. I love running games for new players because they don't know what they're doing, which means they do whatever they like. And it just makes the story so much richer, I think, every time you rerun a one-shot module. We've got a question that's coming out of chat. Are there any tips for making unique NPCs? The first thing you do when you make an NPC, I think, is to give them their core motivation to the world. What is their deep, dark secret or their greatest desire or something like that? I think that is the the best place to make a unique NPC, is to make sure that that is unique in every way to them and their history. That dictates a whole bunch of things that you can create in one sentence. Yeah, I agree with Kyle on that one. It doesn't have to be in-depth. Like, they don't have to have from the date they were born to now. You just kind of need to have that motivation so that they stand out from the crowd. So they're not just Bob shopkeeper number 300. So you've just got to give them some sort of motivation, even if the players never interact with them or never interact with that element of them. It's something that they can do. So that character will be unique, even if it's not something they ever encounter or ever do anything with. 
I have a very limited uh, DMing experience. I've made a few memorable NPCs, but usually more infamous than than, than famous, unfortunately. <laughs> the players kind of really hated a couple of them because they were really annoying, like in an endearing way, I hope. They didn't kill them, so that was good. I agree with this guy. That's just, as long as your NPCs have solid motivations and they do what they're supposed to be doing, that keeps them on track. Players know what they're about and will always come to them for, for that specific things, which is great. Yeah. But in my experience as a player, what I find is NPCs that you interact with, that engage with you, they engage back with you and connect with you on some level through play, uh, dynamically, some form of connection with your character's motivation or backstory that they want to engage more with them, then that really makes them stand out because you're always trying to find an excuse to go back to NPC and, and try and follow that thread and see where it goes. All of you brought up some really great yeah. points. And I mean, okay. I completely agree. Um, and just to go back to favorite characters, I just realized that I'm also on this panel for a reason. I have two favorite characters, one that I created myself. So Xantelarian, the sexy rogue from Dum Dum Dice's <laughs> first campaign. He was my favorite and I literally created him from a baby upwards, which was really like fun to do in terms of developing his motivations. I loved him so much that we created a musical about him. Nice. <laughs> Dum Dum Dice has a musical called The Sexy Rogue. And what was cool for me in-game is to see how he developed as a person from the, the concept to the actual person. My second favorite, or rather on the same level of favorite, was actually a LARP character. And the LARP was set in a fairy tale world. And I played Esmeralda the Wicked Queen, so Snow White stepmother. I love to LARP, especially in theater-based settings, because I also started out in Cape Town. And in my opinion, they, they do the best theater-based LARPs. That character for me was a lot of fun to play because it was the first time that I came out of my shell as well in role-playing because before that I was rather shy and rather introverted. And with that character, I just was like, no, I'm going to play this character properly. And it was a really fantastic experience. One other thing is that I would really encourage is that some of the better DMs I've played with have, have done this. If a player engages with an, an, an NPC that is, isn't that important or just kind of random, and you can see that there's some interest there. Don't be afraid to change things up and make that NPC maybe more important or just you know, have them engage more, even if they don't have anything important to contribute, just to let that story develop between the NPC and, and the character. You can't always force players to like NPCs. But if a player likes an NPC and you've got that connection already, use it. Shift something across, make it happen. You've got them hooked, use the hook and go. I'd add to that. A lot of... DMs and GMs have this obsession with, I've decided that this NPC is going to be like the main driving force. And then your players just don't care about it. Then you end up railroading your players into interacting with an NPC that they don't actually care about. But they would much rather spend time with the character that they've met on the road and they've engaged with instead of this king that has this epic quest for you to do. There's nothing that says you shouldn't just, you can just switch it up. Your players will never know that you've changed any aspects of your story. All they'll know is that this character that they've connected with has some significance to their stories. Players will always go off book. They'll always go after the NPC with like that you do the terrible accent that you can never get right again. So before we move on to the next question, guys, I am going to force you to do something. Larkin B. Smith has followed Dum Dum Dino on Twitch, so I want all of you guys to do your best anime pose. One, two, three, go! Cool. Thank you so much. The next question comes from Barabo. How do you decide how a character develops during a game? 
Is it something that happens organically or is discussed with the GM or is it something else? As being the GM on that side, I think a lot of the times when you start out with a character, you have a certain idea in mind. And as with anything, it doesn't always go exactly to plan. I find you don't really find your true character until you've played the first session. It's when you kind of figure out exactly who your character is. It's also, it's very organic how your character develops. If you have something very specific you want to do with your character, talk to the GM about it beforehand. If you want to set up a certain scenario of saying, I want my character to maybe confront someone around this time that did this to them or something like that. But I also find it's very interesting to just let that character develop completely organically on their own and just kind of let the dungeon master throw things at them and see, let you think about, hmm, would my character do this? Yes, he would. Or no, he wouldn't. So yeah, be brave in your character choices and don't always stick to what is the best choice. Stick to what your character would do. Mm. That's what makes the best role-playing experience. All my characters have kind of developed organically. I do like the taking the approach of speaking with my GM because as much as they're in narrative control of the game, it's also a game that they're playing. Because I'm behind the GM screen, I've often found that if a player talks to me, it's a lot more interesting. I can develop the story with them because it is a collaborative storytelling game. So organic growth is is great for like developing like a personality and stuff like that. But when it comes to like large, big, epic stories and moments in their life, it really helps if you've got the GM on your side so that they can sit and enjoy it. So you're not just springing this, I'm going to go off to fight this dragon on my own because that's what my character would do sort of moments. I always view role-playing as a collaborative storytelling experience. For the most part, I'd say personally, you always have to have that interaction with your GM. They're the ones telling the story. They're the ones setting up the, the, the story points. And you as a player are there to move the story along. So if they have a heads up of where you want to go, they can help you get there. And if there are certain things you want to do that are going to really mess with the story flow or with other characters as well, the GM will know it. You won't. And they can help guide you. Because remember, there are other players here as well. So you, the GM, and other players. You need that interaction, that, that dynamic. That's the GM's job. He guides the story. So he'll be able to help you get to where you want to be and also advise you on certain things that maybe you can't or shouldn't do. Trust your GM. I mean, obviously you need to know your GM and know your players as well. Mm. If it's a new group, then things are a bit tougher. But if, if it's people you know, um, you'll kind of have an idea of, of how they do things. Your character will develop organically. There's no way around that. You can try and put it down as a, you know, these are the steps I want to follow. This is what they're going to do. But role-playing games are dynamic. Things change all the time. People make the yeah. decisions down the road. And you might not like where you wanted to go at that point in time when you get there. Always talk to your GM. Always let them know yeah. what you want to do so they can mm. help make it happen. Because if you're trying to fight against a GM, it's not going to work. Because yeah. there, there's no versus GM. It usually yeah. makes trouble in the later parts of the game, I find. Exactly. Especially when a, a player looks at it as a constant versus the GM. That just derails yeah. the whole game. Other players will notice and they will feel it and they will be unhappy and no one wants that situation. Yeah. yeah. Have fun. yeah. On the other hand, there's also GMs versus players. Like I have played in a campaign where it was a constant nightmare of our characters being railroaded into interacting with GM PCs and... Yeah. Everyone else was these amazing, well-built characters, and we kind of just didn't have a chance to develop. So, yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative effort. Everyone at the table needs to be enjoying the story that you're telling exactly. as a group. And, and this is, again, where yeah. it comes in, where you have to communicate with the GM. If a one-on-one isn't working, get the group together, talk to them, and then go as a group and tell the GM, hey, we're not having fun. 
Can we try yeah. something different, or can we can yeah. we fix this somehow? GMs are also learning. Like yes, in, in a lot of cases, your GM might not be very experienced because you all want to role play, and no one wants to be a GM. But the one the one person puts their hand up and goes, "I will take this. I will do this," and then they get very stressed because you have like four to six people always in your face, destroying everything you create. And we are talking about being those people that destroy everything and make destroy the GMs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you guys have covered the most important points, I think, on that question because like organic growth, collaborative storytelling. Um, having a good relationship, not only with your GM, but with the other players in the game. I think all of those things are really, really, really important. And then also just for new players, something that I do is if I haven't completely connected with my character or if I'm struggling to decide what they would do, what I do is I rely on dice rolls to make small decisions. And that's just to help you out in the beginning until you get used to playing your character because you can spend a ridiculously long time creating a character, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know them well enough to play them well. So, you know, just help yourself out in the beginning. And then we've got another question that's actually coming from Dum Dum Die. And the question is, do you need to make your character based on what's best mechanically? Or can you, for example, make an orc bard? I actually have in one of my current campaigns, I'm not playing this character. I have a person playing an orc sorcerer, which not a great combo at all in terms of a half-orc sorcerer. Not very mechanically strong, but probably one of the greatest characters I've had in terms of development. I mean, this character went on to kill her father, has mm. had this whole emotional transformation and journey, found out her dad was still alive, found out he's actually kind of evil, found out he's really oh, evil, wow. killed him. Oh, She's been on this whole journey, and it's because she oh. wasn't afraid to go with something that was mechanically inefficient, provide yeah. a great backstory instead. I like to take a balanced approach to it. I think it's very easy to create a gimped character or, or a character that might be fun for you to play your halfling fighter that deals one point of damage all the time and gets knocked out every fight. But at the same time, you've also got to appreciate what that's doing for the rest of the players at the table. So I kind of like to take a balanced approach to it. Like I know that I can create interesting characters that are weaker in some aspects and stronger in others and mechanically good in some aspects and weaker in others. But at the same time, I also won't intentionally go out and create a poor character, if that's the correct term, because I know that it's not just about my fun at the table, it's about everyone else's as well. Yeah. There's a fun thing in (laughs) Pathfinder and D&D. It's called Iron Man. It's a casual term from other games as well, where you, you basically, it's like, you play super hard. If you die, you die in the story. And Iron Man, DNA Pathfinder, you roll 3d6 in order, and those are your stats. And you go. And you can Don't get some really. What's <laughs> <laughs> You can get some really gimped characters playing yeah. that. I mean, you can get some really bad characters. We did that at one point, and I had the half orc barbarian with three intelligence. Mm-hmm. He was convinced he was a wizard. He was raised oh, wow. by gnomes and was convinced he was a wizard, and all his spells involved him hitting things very hard. Oh, and you, sorry, <laughs> you choose your race first as well before you roll. And what's interesting is when you do that, usually it's going to be a pain in the bottom because at least some of your part is going to be gimped. And like a collaborative experience, that means everyone's going to be feeling that. And it forces you to find other ways to get things done beyond using your mechanics and actual skills and abilities, which usually means role-playing and trying to outthink the NPCs and, and, and whatever. That being said, personally for me, and this actually speaks to the, the title, I think, when I build a character, I talk to the DM, figure out what kind of story I want to tell, figure out what I want to do in this campaign. A lot of my friends prefer the 
other approach where they come up with these character concepts and then build down from there. Me, I'm much more goal-oriented. I want to know, okay, cool, what will my character do in this campaign? Will he be a sniper? Will he be a face, uh, a talker? From there, I look at what we're allowed to use for character creation points-wise or system-wise or whatever. I built up someone that can do that because what, what I find is role-playing manuals, they tell you this is the average score. This is the good score for four characters. They lie. These are never the actual good scores. They never work. So you have to max slightly, optimize slightly, just to oh, get... No just to get for, uh, optimize, optimize slightly, just to get that one or two things you oh. want to do. Just so you know, you can do them in, in a normal situation where you have to make a stress roll, your character will succeed. In a hard situation, fine. It's, it's whatever. But like in a normal situation, the worst thing is you create a character, and according to the stats, it says he can do this, as part of his day-to-day thing, and you get to the situation and you fail all the time. It just, it just feels terrible. I make the yeah. character be able to do X, Y, and Z proficiently. And yeah. then I start building around that, maybe taking a few points off if, if, if I need them for something else. Okay. And then I start rounding out the character from there. I did a little bit of a different one yeah. for a Funhouse dungeon I ran. Instead of doing the 46 for characters, I did 1D20. Oh. Oh, oh wow. Jeez. Yeah, we had a player that was insistent that's how he wanted to roll his stats. And we were like, cool. One of my players ended up with a wizard who had a 20 intelligence but a 3 in strength. Every stat was like terrible except for the intelligence. So they could cast like a champion. But they couldn't even lift their spellbook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so their backstory was that they'd been imprisoned in a dungeon for many years and literally had like muscle atrophy. Yeah, so just, just to quickly finish my point, once I have a working engine for a character, it doesn't have to be optimized. It can just, yeah. once I can do one thing that I wanted to do and the rest is just, you know, gravy, then yeah. I'll build the background and character around mm. that. And you can then go to town on your personality all you want. So when I create characters, I start with a stereotypical, specifically for D&D, I start with a very stereotypical shell. So, for example, my current character, Aloran, so he is an Azamar paladin, and that fits, and it's super stereotypical. But if you look at his stats, his personality, all of that doesn't actually fit with being your standard Azamar paladin. He is practically useless. He's never actually been a real paladin in his life. He's never done anything to prove that he's a paladin. His speciality is rescuing cats from trees. <laughs> but in his mind, he is honorable, he's a hero, you know, and and he's got like real fears as well. And if you've watched Dum Dum Die, Lauren is terrified of powerful women. And that's like power gaming off the bat. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it's not. And and I think that's that's what makes it interesting. Like for me when I play a character is I always have a super stereotypical shell. I'm just like, guys, I'm gonna make you think my character is super competent. Until we play. Every fighter needs to dress up as a wizard. That reminds me of, I think it was Will Friedle's character from the, the first season of Critical Role, Cash, in which oh. he played a cleric who was actually terrified of his own goddess because his goddess was like the psychotic demon, really. <laughs> and he was so terrified of her that he was afraid to cast spells. And I was like, that is a great concept for a character. So Carla says, with regards to communication with your GM, she says that, Possibly, for instance, if there's maybe a blood feud in your background, you can tell your GM and your GM will help you to develop that story. And she also agreed with the fact that if you want to make a big change or do something unexpected, that it's probably best to talk to your GM first. And bribing them with sushi and, and pizza is always not, it's never oh. bad. Thing. And then Lestat is asking us, assuming a PC dies mid-campaign, 
as a GM, how would you help the player to work their new character into the campaign? I've played in a lot of long-term campaigns where, like, a large group of characters will die. We had a Dragonlance campaign that was ongoing for two years, and then we had a new player join us who proceeded to literally just derail the entire campaign, killed off half the characters that we developed since level one. All of us had been together. And it's kind of difficult. So if like one or two characters die, there's always ways around it. Just because your characters can't bring them back to life doesn't necessarily mean that that character has to stay dead. Like it's kind of a cliche, but most people will tell you, work it into the story, find a way for you to bring them back. It'll be expensive and it might like be a whole nother subplot that goes on bringing your characters back as a gm there's always dm fiat it's well your character comes back to life for reasons the last campaign i played in my paladin decided she would investigate this tomb that we found and we found like a preserved clone of somebody that we didn't realize was a clone so my character had investigated it and then later on she died horribly by being rendered limb from limb by some gags and oh, she died and our oracle tried to bring her back and she just didn't and so uh, that's where we ended the session and the next session we found out that well actually she's come back to life in this clone's body so now she's trapped in this tomb that we neatly closed back up because we weren't going to rob it and so we had to figure out how to get myself out of the tomb and myself back to the rest of the party without them wondering who the heck i was so there's always ways to bring back characters, especially as a GM. So always speak to your GM. But in regards to like integrating new characters, it's always fun to find your new character just tied up or enslaved by the big bad or meet them on the road or just have them help them out in some way so they can integrate into the party. Because if they're traveling in a group like and they come across some lone like tiefling sorcerer, they're probably going to take pity on you because they know you might die. So they'll probably take you in. So there's always ways to do it. It's just, it is tricky because you get tied into your character. You don't want to just abandon them. But some people do. Some people just, as soon as their character's dead, they're dead. That's it. So in those cases, yeah, you've just, the G, you need to speak with the GM. It is difficult though. So personally, what I tend to go with is I tend to give the person who just died, I tend to give them some insight as to where the campaign is going in terms of knowledge that the party was looking for or could be looking for soon. Here's this little bundle of knowledge. Make your character someone who would know this. And the party's going to come and find you to ask you some questions. And you're going to go, oh yeah, X, Y, Z. And hey, you know what? I'm really bored with my life. I'm going to join you. Because, you know, slaying this guy is, sounds like fun. Because I'm a, not a well-adjusted individual. I'll leave my comfortable life behind. Happy kids never go slay dragons. No, yeah. they don't. Every PC oh, is God. at some point a disturbed character. Murder hobos, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've never had to do this as a GM. I don't GM that much. I've experienced as a player, though. Personally, coming into a game midstream, it's like the same kind of vibe, basically. Except you don't actually know what's going on. <laughs> and you don't have that, that connection with other players already. So mm. it's a bit... But I mean, like, usually it's with friends, so it's not a huge issue. Or I've seen it happen with other players in my groups where uh, people just get bored of the character and they want to retire them. So they might not necessarily die, kill them all, but they might be retired in some way. The ways you guys mentioned are basically the ones that usually end up happening, because they're the easiest, honestly. But one of the more interesting ones that happened was the character coming back in came in as actually a protagonist. And they were actually hunting us, or hunting our target, or or hunting someone that we were after. And we ended up coming at the situation from slightly divergent angles. 
and then end up in a big battle and you know and then eventually an NPC stepped in to go hey we're on the same side kind of vibe and we talk things out and we actually got some and what was nice we actually got to engage with the character on a role-playing level in character uh, under stress because like most of the time when we role-play in our games it's just faffing around and doing stupid oh. things but like yeah when, when you actually engage in an actual role-play during a combat like mid-combat mid and whatever it, it, oh. it tends to be a bit more meaningful because you're engaging more meaningfully and you know, you're, you're putting yeah. more thought into what you're doing there's impact so it's one of those cool epic moments you always see in the movies and stuff where you know these two different forces come together and try to kill each other but then end up being allies and go forth so when you said retiring characters the first thing that popped into my mind was the dread pirate roberts i've also had quite a lot of experience with like character death or retiring or whatever it is dum dum dies also experienced it where we had players leave the country collars tried to write them out in a way that brings impact or in nicole's case she wrote herself out and it was absolutely phenomenal. Her ending, I think, left a lot of people in tears. Dark Wolf says, as a player, when he creates characters, he starts with personality and then matches his stats up to create a better bond with his character and to make it more fun. Gikoscopy says he did a roll 1d20 to create a character and he will never do it again. His hashtag is never forget. Lestat commented, sometimes it's better to phase a character out, especially when the player doesn't want their character to come back to life. Um, and now I'm going to ask you guys the most important question, which is, have you ever created or played a character that the rest of your party wanted to kill? And why did they want to kill them? Yes, I have. It was one of my first characters I played many, many back in the days, and he was mm. a, an elven wizard. He wasn't intended to be a pyromaniac, but he was. Oh, dear. And um, let's just say my party wanted to kill him often because he kind of got in the way of his spells, and fireball's a thing. As yep. someone told me the other day, yep. a hit roll is addressed to someone, but a fireball <laughs> is addressed to whom it may concern. <laughs> There's one character that springs to mind, and that's Perry Whistle. It was meant to be a campaign, and we completely derailed it. And Perry Whistle was basically a halfling with giant insect wings. And this was in 3.5. So we were all just power gaming at that point. And Perry Whistle mm. was absolutely off his rocker. Perry Whistle had no social filters whatsoever, but he was charismatic as anything. So Perry Whistle's favorite thing was to go around and explain where babies come from to people. And then oh, wow. just like fly off while like mothers stared in disbelief at this halfling explaining where babies came from to their children. And we got run out of so many towns and Periwistle just didn't understand it. And he thought everyone wanted to be his friend. And by the end of it, the party just kind of, we all just fell into massive infighting and started to kill each other off because Periwistle was such a dick. The character was, was Captain Satan. He was a Scientology powered superhero. <laughs> and he also had a, a dart gun that fired darts or something called Hyperviagra. To incapacitate his opponents or to power up his party members. It was one of those fuller throwaway campaigns uh, where the DM actually, he called it quits because he just couldn't do the stupid anymore. It got so stupid. I think we got to a point where a lot of the players actually wanted to kill me, not my character. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because we, yeah. Because we, we, we just took all the photos off and we went, we went full stupid. We went full, full dumb. It was, it was ridiculous. Then the other one where the, they actually wanted to kill the character was Bishon and Oni, the super villain game we had. Bishon and Oni was. 
supposed to be a like anime kind of base character. So it looks like a pretty little boy, but he could like manifest energy blades out of everything. And would just jump in gloss cannon and just basically if he, if he didn't kill everything in the first round or two, he was in trouble. And usually he'd kill everything in the first round or two. Towards the end, he was basically causing supernovas by going by just using telekinesis to explode them from the cores and do other weird shit like that. Taking out whole fleets with mental mental attacks. It was super OP. Again, he was a glass cannon, but only the DM and myself knew how to kill him, how to stop him. Because he was very fragile. If he, if he dropped something here and there, he just falls apart. But because it was a villain game and we were all kind of out to get our own things going, they were often, okay, we're depowered now. This is our only chance. Everyone go and kill him. These sentiments were expressed very often and they came after my character quite a bit. With me, I recently played a sort of mini campaign with Lena, also from Dum Dum Die. And what she did was she took a one-shot module from one of the events that we ran. So she took it from the FanCon event that we ran. And the module is called A Stitch in Time. It's a lot of fun. And she expanded it because she liked the story so much that she turned it into a four-session mini campaign. And I played the character Goran Sparrowhand and everybody wanted to kill me and I was playing in a group with a group of people I had never met and we played online because of corona and I played the character exactly as it was written Lena loved the way that I played the character but already after the first session I knew that my character was shafted everybody else whether they were in or out of character was like are you really going to do this for the whole campaign and I was like yeah that's what the character requires me to, to do. This is what I'm supposed to be. And they were like, you know what? We're probably going to end up tying you up for like a whole session. And I was like, well, if you do that, that's fine. I can deal with that, you know, as a role player. I'm a professional. I'm not going to cry because you tied my character. They wanted to kill me. This is something that other guys have experienced, but I have literally got an award at my table called showed up with our parents again. I'm so tired of the orphan trope. Yeah, I've tried to, like, write a backstory for your characters that isn't tragic. Well, he killed everyone in his village. Okay, that's pretty tragic, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that and the, I, I was an epic now that You're at level one. You've got ten hit points. Write a backstory that pr- shows that up. <laughs> yeah, not. I killed the evil wizard that was enslaving my clan with my bare hands. Also, I'm a le- level one wizard. Yeah. yeah. No, it's got to make sense. I think when you create mm. a character, like I like a little bit of tragedy, but I think that stems just from the player, like mm. who I am. So I like to have a little bit of tragedy in the backstory, but I also like to have a lot of stupid. Or at least if you're going to have your parents dead, do something original with it at the end. So with, with like other games, like with the World of Darkness games, you have like a system of merits and flaws where you can gain flaws to get a few extra points for merits. Oh, Oz Magica as well. That has a lot of fun uh, flaws you can take that that really hurt you a lot. I loved Curse of Venus and Blessing of Venus. So people always, inappropriate people will fall in love with you. And at one point, the queen of the winter court had a thing for one of my characters and took took him away. He missed two whole seasons of research, came back with some interesting Twilight scars. Starkwolf said the trope of the elf being 500 years old and super knowledgeable and experienced. And at level one, like, yeah, you can't prove that. DMD is 100 years, right? Usually the elf starts with like 120-ish. Yeah, yeah. but I think that's yeah. when they're sort of 
like what we call uh, in your twenties. At a hundred, you're considered twenty, and at a thousand, you're considered like full lifespan as an elf. And mm. you, yeah, Pathfinder Second Edition does a nice way of addressing that, where there's specific elven ancestry feats that you can take at first level, specifically that um, well, you're you're knowledgeable about certain things, so you mm-hmm. every day you can gain training in a specific skill that represents the fact that you've lived quite a bit longer than everyone else. So your skills might not necessarily be adventuring based, but you might have spent 50 years crafting one single ring to rule them all. I quite like that approach with it. It's ancestry feats in Pathfinder 2nd Edition are amazing advancement in terms of design. It's cool. It does depend on the system, though. I mean, like, it, it, yeah. like with, with, with Pathfinder and DNA, they're very, they're very rigid and structured. I mean, you can do some yeah. cool stuff with them. Like, I, I love 3.5. You can do so much 3.5. But, like, with Fate, for example, you can, you can build a millennial old character who's knowledgeable in a lot of things. It doesn't mean you're kind of not going to be able to do a lot of other things. But, mm. you know, it's, it's more flavor. And with, mm. with Fate, you can really work the flavor quite well. Darkwolf also comments that another thing is making a hyper-intelligent character who is actually, in fact, smarter than, than you, the player, is. And then it makes it really difficult for you to play that character. It's one of those things. But, I mean, like, at the same time, people often make characters that are stronger than them. Exactly. Most people can't be swinging, like, swords around all day like their characters would. So, But intelligence is specifically difficult. It's the sort of thing that you kind of need to speak to your GM about. So, like, kind of buy into that. Your, exactly. your character, you might not necessarily know something, but your character probably yeah. would. And yeah, so that's the sort point. of time where the GM will be giving you secret notes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or just inside information that you, see so you as a player don't know it, but your character would. And yeah. for a lot of people, they feel that that's kind of metagamey, but I just, I find it weird that people stress about that, but not things like constitution and wisdom and charisma. Yeah. No, I stress about charisma. I hate playing charismatic characters. Oh, I love playing charismatic characters. They're my favorite. No, I'm just so awkward that I'm just like, if I play a charismatic character and then I'm asked to role play something as opposed to rolling dice for it, because I generally don't play games where the dice roll is actually determining what you're doing. It's like pure role playing. But, but that's and the thing. It makes it a lot harder for me because then I'm like, shit, I have to be charismatic. But, oh no. So instead, think about this yeah. way your awkwardness is so endearing that people just have to do what you want. As for the smart thing, honestly, it's, it's not a huge issue because there are so many smart people that are so bloody dumb. You know, think about it. I was going to say <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. Honestly. And look, look, look at your super villains. There's so many, so many super villains in comics are uh, super geniuses, but they do stupid things and get caught up. They have blind spots. And the whole thing is, if you are a genius in real life, it's kind of like metagaming a bit. You can think maybe a little bit faster or, or you can get to certain points faster or you, know, you might have more skills or whatever. But that's, that, that's not that difficult to do with a character because you have all those meta game things, your character sheet, your reference books, the internet, yeah. your smartphone. Honestly, in my opinion, probably the, the most difficult character to play is a high wisdom character. People expect you to have these wise words and comfort, and, and sometimes it's just, it's not there. No, it's, yeah. One of the, the best examples is the season of Critical Role, Talis and Jaffe's character of Deuces. He plays it very well. It's a high wisdom character that he plays very well in that he's always got something wise to say and is always very good at giving advice. I would suck at that. <laughs> I would not be able to give my party members. My advice would be, you know, 
Go do something stupid. Go get drunk. Yeah. That's not a high wisdom solution, I don't think. <laughs> to be fair, it's like I, I haven't really found wisdom as a stat in that many other games besides D&D and Pathfinder. Like in, in a way, it's, it's, it's described in those games where yeah. it's, it, it talks to a person's actual wisdom. Most games, yeah. they have more of a willpower stat or something similar, yeah. not wisdom as such, which is interesting. Yeah. So guys, what I would like to have you do now as a close-up to this panel session is for each of you just to let people know where they can find you, where they can follow you on socials if they'd like to engage with you. Also, you know, if you have websites, that sort of thing. And then end with one closing comment regarding the panel topic. Okay, uh, so social medias, you can find me on Facebook uh, as Carl Gary Gray. I'm also part of the D&D South Africa group, as well as you can find me on the Dum Dum Die Discord as one of the mods. So I'm always here to help on that side. Just to wrap it up in terms of my stuff, write as many pages as you want. A DM is never going to complain your backstory is too long. Uh, at least I wouldn't. Okay. Because you can throw most of it out. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, you can search for the social justice skitamander or just search for my name, the Stuart underscore H. And it's Stuart with a U-A-R-T. And yes, my closing statement is basically just have fun with your characters. Like, don't see them as necessarily like separate from yourselves like a lot of people will say you know you have to play something completely different like if you want to play yourself play yourself put a bit of yourself into your character you'll have a lot more fun with him that way yeah i don't really do that much social media stuff so you can get me on facebook as Verolan governor i guess <laughs> maybe i'll respond i make no promises <laughs> and yeah i guess i'm on dum dum dies discord now so maybe i'll be more chatty there i guess with people social uh role play yeah look have fun don't be afraid to try ridiculous things don't feel restricted or whatever there is no best way to play a character to build a character as long as you're not being offensive as long as you're working with the player like you, you can be a social outcast you can be an you can, your, your character can be a douche that's fine as long as you as a player aren't. You can play the character as a douche, that's fine. But be respectful towards the other players as a player. It's a collaborative role-playing experience. So everyone needs some stage time. Don't be that guy who goes and always wants to solo and steal all the stage time. Because it's, it's collaborative. You can be a lone wolf and role-play as such. But remember, everyone needs their stage time as well. Yeah. I just well, need to add this. So yeah. Shigaroth in the comments said, Wing pretending to be wise with Finnish idioms. That sounds like a good idea. Those spiritual quotes that are everywhere on everybody's socials these days. Live, laugh, laugh, love, brother. Yeah. Have a little pack of Zen cards. You just pull out and just quote them randomly. Yeah. yeah. The, little book of Zen, the little book of calm. Oh, God. Yeah. And then myself, just in terms of role playing and character creation, guys, as everybody else has said, please have fun with it when you create a character. And also just what i like to do is to try and think like my character rather than think like myself when i role play and that i think helps create a better role playing experience not just for you but for everybody else at the table and it also gives your gm a little bit of confidence that you are enjoying their setting and i think that's also important like your gm is also nervous so just always like, nervous for every gm yeah. i can piss to that one <laughs> exactly so just have fun have a good time um and enjoy the dynamic you have with other people thank you so much guys for joining us 
on Dum Dum Die and just being yourselves and like talking to us about your role playing experiences and how to create characters. You can find us on the socials at Dum Dum Die. Otherwise, you can find us on our Discord channel and that's where you'll be able to find everybody else who you've met now, as well if you just like to chat to them behind the scenes about creating characters. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Steve.